Lovely to see uh, some old, old, when I say old faces, guys that I know from this congregation and City Bowl and guys from PM, it's, and then new faces, it's lovely. Keep going, eh? Keep going. Uh, I want to share this morning, and I, I don't know how far I'm going to get with what I, what, what's on my heart. <laughs> there, I wanted, uh, there we go, that's all right. Are you right to do that? No. Sorry? Are you right? Sorry, it's like a, I, I just wanted um, um, just to be some, so we can go into worship anytime when I'm just sensing, maybe let's stop here and just think, just ponder what God is doing, what he's done, what he's saying, you know. You know, our lives should be, should be testimonies. In, in, in the Old Testament, they used to build altars along their journey. And an altar that was built in the, in the Bible times was saying, I believe, it was a place of worship, but it was actually saying, Lord, you were here. And you did something when you were here. And every time we get together like this, it's almost like we build an altar because God's here and he's going to do something. And how that impacts our lives is how we posture. We posture our lives. And so I'm delighted to be here. Um, uh, I, love, I love preaching the word, but actually the more important thing is, is uh, seeing people alive in Jesus and passionate about God and his ways and his church. So, so yeah, and actually uh, so many little snippets from the prayer meeting to, um, to the word that came that, that uh, Eddie shared. Just now, the, even that scripture is actually in my preach. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to need to read it again. Okay, thanks for saving me 30 sec or two minutes, whatever, because I'm going to press the toss starter now. <laughs> so, so what is it that's going to keep this congregation going until Jesus returns? What is it that's going to keep Josh Jen going passionately after God, for God, until Jesus comes? It's certainly not going to be Andrew Selly. And certainly not going to be me. I'm 62 years old now. And I don't know how long I've got here, but man, I want to leave a trail of passionate pursuers of God in my wake, if possible. And, uh, but I'm not going to keep this thing going. It's not me. It's not my gift. It's not who I am. I went to, Kim and I we were in the UK about... 10 years ago, or a bit longer even, we went into Windsor Castle. Some of you might have been there, I'm not quite sure. I can't remember the chapel's name in Windsor Castle. There's a chapel there. And we went in, and the tourists walking in and around that chapel, and Kim and I walked in, and we sensed the presence of God. And, and you know, tourists, you don't pick up what's happening there they're looking at the stained glass windows and all these things which are pictures of Jesus and as we were walking through this place sensing just the presence of God we had heard I don't know if it was the tour guide or told us I can't remember said there's been a prayer meeting in this church every day for 800 years Let me tell you something. 
what we have, our vision and our values, isn't what's going to sustain us. It is a beautiful picture of what we have of the church. But I want to speak to you about the message of the gospel. The singular purpose that we have as churches across the world, whether it's an Anglican church in Windsor Castle, I think it came up this morning, what you're saying. For centuries, we have an inheritance, and it's, it's, it's forged in blood. It's forged in the blood of Jesus and the blood of, uh, of martyrs and people that have given up their lives. So that's amazing. You were saying, just, man, it's the message of the gospel. And I'm going to share just an introduction very shortly, quickly what the gospel is. And then I want to say, how should this affect our lives? We're going to go through a flash journey through the book of Philippians. So I'm going to touch on everything. And I'm going to leave you with four character traits of what a devotion looks like as in response to the magnificent message of the gospel. It's a beautiful message. So you can, there we go. So you can put it up there now for us, Daniela. Thank you very much. Only let your life be a life worthy of the gospel. What does a life look like that's worthy of the gospel? So Paul was writing to the Philippian church. I think it's in Acts 16. He plants that church. He goes on a, on a journey to Philippi. And he goes to a place of prayer where the women get together for prayer. That's what he does. And he meets Lydia, a wealthy CEO, business person, seeking God. But there's an emptiness in her. Wealthy. Everything she needs. She, she's got businesses all over. There's some cities that she's got business in purple cloth. She was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy businessman, business person, business lady. But there was something missing in her life. She was seeking. She was in that place of prayer. She had known about John's baptism. And she encounters the message of the gospel. And her life is changed. The next day, Paul walking in the streets. And there's this demonized young slave girl abused, hurt, used for, a, for the demonic stuff that's inside her to bring others money for the temple. A slave girl worth nothing. No valued in that society just to make money. And the gospel comes to her. She's set free. She comes to know Jesus. Because of that, Paul, I think it's in silence, get put in prison. And they're worshipping. Gates open, and there's a prison warden, swearing, blue-collared soldier, hard, 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 hard. And because of that encounter with Paul and with Silas, the gospel comes to him. And his life is changed. Paul plants a church with a wealthy businesswoman, a slave girl, and a hardcore soldier. And he saw them get saved, and he saw them get baptized. My, my children, this is his heart. And you can see his heart because he was there. He was there. He saw them. He saw their families. He was in Lydia's home. He was in the jailer's house. He was there. You see, at the cross... 
everything is equal. I got saved in April 1970 on the on on Resurrection Sunday morning. But I've been saved for 52 years, but it doesn't negate anything someone that's been saved for two days. We are the same at the cross. At the cross, we are all equal. All have needs, the need of salvation, all of the need of a savior, all of a need of a spiritual inheritance that is far more than this world can ever, ever give. Amen? And so he writes to them, he says this to this church, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all, uh, until now, sorry, um, I lost my place here, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Can you see? Your partnership. He's thinking about the different kinds of people that got saved. From the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The gospel continues its work in me. The gospel, the message of the gospel that Jesus alone can save. Jesus alone can make whole. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of me of grace. Yeah, was Paul, a murderer, a persecutor of the church who came to saving knowledge of Jesus. Spent 11 years, I don't know, quite a few years, just God speaking to him, he becomes the apostle. And Paul is saying, slave girl, you're a partaker with me in the gospel. Isn't that mercy? Isn't that just such a beautiful picture? The, the gospel and what we have as a church, there's no other message like it. There's no other message. No other message. So you've been partakers with me of, of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I kind of, I, I, I feel a little bit of what Paul felt for the church. I yearn for all of you become partakers of the gospel, to be living the fullness of what God has for every single one of you. It's such a, a magnificent message. It's the message of the gospel that has carried the church for over 2,000 years. Message of the gospel. Church has messed it up over history, but it's the gospel that eventually comes through and brings us back to the place of glory, of glorifying Jesus. You see, all of us are dis disqualified because of sinners. Every single one of us. I got saved when I was 10 years old, and I know I was in church my whole life, and then there was a moment where I realized, me, I had disqualified by sin. I need mercy. I don't know uh, what your history is, what your testimony is, whatever it is, where you're at now, I want to say today. You can know that you know that you know the confidence that if you ask Jesus to forgive yourself, come into your life, you become a child of God. Equal.
at the cross. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm with you. We are partakers in the gospel. We are partners in this gospel. What, a, what, a, what an invitation that we have. We are all. You see, the, the gospel breaks all social barriers. We are, we are all equal. I think I've said that. We are all changed by the power of the gospel. And we're all invited to a partnership in the gospel. In other words, the message of Jesus living in us by the Holy Spirit dwells within us, needs to saturate us, and then touch the lives of others. Every single one of us, the moment we ask Jesus into our lives, receive the amazing, beautiful person of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to fill us and saturate us with the good news, with the gospel. Only the gospel is the, is the power of God to change lives. Not my gift, not my preaching. I could preach the best preach now, but it's only by you believing in Jesus that changes your life and trusting him. Amen, you're with me. I'm passionate about this, but, but let's keep. What is going to keep this congregation going? Make sure that you're, li- that you're preaching the gospel and your lives are living a life worthy of the gospel. I'm telling you, God's going to do so much more in and through our lives. You see, uh, discipleship is always a response of devotion because the gospel demands it. Jesus gave up everything, we laid down everything. And the gospel message that you received and believed will define the kind of disciple you're going to be. So if you believe in a wishy-washy grace, a wishy-washy grace, are you with me? I can sin as I like and can do as I please, telling you, you're going to live a life that doesn't please the Lord. Or if you get saved by grace, it says I've got to do works to get saved. You're going to live a life of legalism and you're going to not live in the freedom that God lives us to live in. We are set free. I think it came through this morning. We are set free by the message that Jesus saves. And Jesus comes in to live in my life, invites us into that. And then the, the process begins. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. It's not up there. It says, uh, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were no- of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. We have a wonderful message, the gospel message. Jesus, all about Jesus. I'm preaching Jesus now. All about him. And the moment you get Jesus in your life and you get the Holy Spirit comes resident in your life, you are qualified as a son and a daughter, and you're qualified as a part in the gospel. You partake, and then you partner with him. You're a partaker in that immense love, the height, the width, the breadth, the length of his love for you and me. Okay, so what does a life worthy of the gospel look like? I'm going to give you four things from the four. I'm just going to give you four um, characteristics We've received the gospel. What does it mean to be a partake in the gospel? What does it look like? And I'm going to just touch on one or two things, give you a few of my own stories. And, uh, yeah, trust that 
settles in your heart, brings a confidence, but a sense of, man, what a huge privilege we have. What a huge privilege we have. So about three months ago, I go, we go, can I just get the water? Can you, can you just open that for me? Sorry, my bad. Sorry, um, it's a big bottle because it's going to be a long preach. No, my Happy it's not, uh, really it's not. Before we go on, I felt, as we were worshipping this morning, just as Margot plays, close your eyes and think of the day you got saved. Think of that moment. Think of that moment and just meditate and, and let it resonate in your soul with gratitude Jesus, I thank you for that Sunday morning. In 1970, when that American preacher came, I can't remember his name, I was at an Easter camp, campsite north of Vintook in Namibia. That moment where your invitation arrested my soul. Where that day I knew that I knew that I knew that I was your child and that I was in your hand and that there's no turning back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel keeps our feet on the ground and our heads looking to you constantly. Keeps us humble, but keeps us confident. Amen. Well, trust has been just that day. It's good to remember that day. Because eh? that day and there's coming a that day. And when we stand before Jesus, was your life worthy of the calling, worthy of the gospel? And we all fail and we're all weak. And I'm going to some of the stories that I might say, share with you might be maybe eye-opening for you guys. Because I don't come, what you see here hasn't got it all together. Share some of the stories now. So quickly a funny story. 
So about two, two, two months ago, three months ago, I was in Mossel Bay. My good friend Eugene von Rochenberg, some of you know him, he, he came in, got saved in the Mossel Bay Church, became an elder. He's there. So we go there on the training, uh, training time with the kids training, and he says to me, I want to go for a haircut. Do you want to come with me? So, uh, so I said, I don't need a haircut because my hair was like kind of this kind of length. So it's not like haircut. I don't really need it. What are you laughing at? I haven't got much here, I know. <laughs> okay, so I said, no, I don't need a haircut. We said, come on, man, I want a haircut, you know. So, uh, so we go, to, let's just go see this place, because I wanted to go, there's a football game in the afternoon that I wanted to go watch. Let wait, Man United, I'll just leave it there. Liverpool fans, my heart. Okay, so we go to this place, and it's this Egyptian Haircut place, okay, or barber. And he looks as we're driving past, he says, Ah, oh, this place. So Eugene says, Let's go. So he goes. She says, Dion, you go. So we go inside, Egyptian, but he knows the guy. And he says, You go first. I'm paying. So, right. So I said, Okay, that's okay. So as I go and sit in the seat, I just hear the words to the barber, this Egyptian barber. He says, Full house. Full house, started with a nice haircut and it was nice, okay. And the next thing, the earbuds came out, the wax, hot wax. When it, I think it went up into my brain. <laughs> wax in my ears and then these, these things are sticking out. And, yeah. and then it was, and then it was the face mask. No, it was a shave. I got a shave, you know, with a blade. And then it was the face mask. And yeah, I'm sitting with people coming in. I'm a pastor. Sitting in. Can you imagine the picture? Face mask on, ear things out. Then, I kid you not, the dreaded threading. You know what threading is? They take a thread to your eyebrows. I tell you, I wanted to cry. <laughs> All I could say is, Eugene, Eugene, I'm going to get you for this. I'm going to get you for this. The tears were rolling down my eyes. I, wasn't, I promise you I wasn't crying. I wasn't crying. The blood, the blood started to come, you know, when they pulled it, the blood started to show. And eventually, I went through this whole process of the process of cleaning and shaving and removing facial hair that I didn't want removed. But anyway, <laughs> it happened. And the next day, I was in church, I was preaching, and the blood spots were all over here, like all over here. And they said, Let's, he went for the full house, you know. And I said to them, you know what? Parable. When we come to Jesus... He puts us on the chair and he wants to give us the full house. But we've got to surrender. There's nothing you can do. It's going to be painful. You're going to want to cry sometimes. But that's the reality. We get the full, the full house. God wants to change us, every part of us, to become more and more like him. So that we give him the glory. So that we live lives that are worthy. The next, uh, there we go. So the first thing in chapter 1, I'm just going to highlight one or two verses or a verse from each chapter, 
I'm going to hope will, will resonate in your heart and just put faith in you again. The first thing is a prophetic confession of faith. See, when I was growing up as a, as a child in church, I knew when I got to 10 years old, there'd be a place where I understood this is the day. That's why it's good to remember. This is the day that I gave my life to Jesus and my life changed forever. Became that personal conviction. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. Holy Spirit came to live in me and everything changed, although I was in church. And I went to my folks and I said to them, I've given my heart to Jesus. Just off, off the camp. They said, but you've already done that because as a child, sometimes you commit often. But I said, no, no, this was for real. This was for real. There's a day in your life that is for real. And that becomes the confession of your faith for the rest of your life. See, the gospel we get saved into is a, is a response to the, gospel, to the gospel message we, we received when we got pray, when we, what we came out of, if you know what I'm trying to say. So Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That was his confession. A murderer, a persecutor of the church, encountered Jesus. And from that moment, there was that thing that happened in his life. And he, from that moment, he said, I'm living for Jesus. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me. He saw that he was a man that needed mercy. He was, saw that he was a man uh, that because of me saw mercy, that his life was placed on the altar. He became a sacrifice. And then he sees that there's an eternal reward and that there's something worth giving his life up for. He saw he was in prison. He wrote this letter from prison. He saw that his imprisonment was worthy of the call of Jesus because in all this he saw mercy. He received mercy. He had, he was a, he had a job to do, calling, a, a mission that God had invited him into. And then he saw that there's a, there's a purpose in it all, and it's not in this world. See, hardship and what you're going through, when the Gospels come, when we've got that confession, always has a purpose. God always wants to use what we in and go through, because there's a purpose when the Gospel comes into us. So the Holy Spirit came and made me alive that moment I gave my heart to Jesus. There was that resonation that the indwelling of the Spirit came that day. And I've had an outpouring subsequently about 10 years later with a spoken tongues and everything, but I'm talking about that day, that day. And decisions and choices that I've made in my life are based on that day, that conviction, that day that when I was 10 years old, When I was tested on eldership, there was, a, there was a time in that church that I was at that the lead elder made it very difficult for me to be on team. Very difficult. It was not, it was not, not just Jen. It was way back. He actually sort of saying, I want you to step off. But I realized the calling in God because of this conviction. I said, I believe this is what God's called me to because I've heard, I know, and this is what God has for me. And we stuck it out. We, we pushed through that season because of that conviction. I moved to Mosul Bay. When God said, you need to go plant a church, it was based on a conviction 
when I was 10 years old, that we're going to plant a church, that voice that I heard, the Holy Spirit in me, saying, my life is no longer my own, I'm going. For me to live is Christ, but to die is going. And in dying, we gain Christ. Hello? <laughs> what a beautiful picture this is. Baptism. If you haven't been baptized, you need to speak to one of the elders, because this is a picture of your confession. It doesn't save you. It's just a picture of this conviction and con prophetic confession of faith. That we need mercy every day. That each day, God wants us to be saturated with the grace of Christ. For me to live is Christ, His grace, living in Christ, His grace each day. Are we saturated with the fragrance of the grace of Christ in our lives because of our conviction? Is the confession of your life for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? I couldn't understand, um, well, I can understand, but it was hard for us always to understand why we'll let to go. I've said this before. But I can tell you where Willie's right now, and where I am right now, he's got a much better view. He's seen Jesus face to face. He's hidden with Christ now. He's, he's alive with Christ. Is this the confession of your faith? Amen. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. This is where the scripture that Eddie shared comes up. Positioned in Christ to love. Let me read that. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, not not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And it goes on to say, therefore, God highly exalted him. You know the passage of scripture. The number one trait, I believe, or action is love. That a born again, devoted follower of Jesus needs to have love. Jesus is our example, our model. Jesus, uh, Jesus' enemies used the very things that he created, the wood the tr that he created in trees. He used those emblems and he used it to crucify him to the cross. The very people that he created he, were abusing him, were whipping him, were putting nails in his hands, were putting spears in his side. And he says, forgive them. Love. For the joy set before him endured because of love. And yeah, it says, yeah, beautiful, beautiful passage. I saw it just once again afresh. It says, we ha have this mind among yourselves, amongst each other. Have this mind. And look at the, what it says next. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. We have been given the mind of Christ. We have access to the very thoughts of God. We have access to his motive, to his heart, to his love, to that great, the in, what you call it, no, infinite resource of love and grace. We have access. And we need to have the mind 
among yourselves humble, humility, loving one another. We need to position ourselves under the mind of Christ, in Christ, as we look and share with one another and deal with one another. That's why Eddie read that scripture, love is kind, love is patient, love is good, and all those things. Love is forgiving. doesn't hold record wrong. Love thinks better of others. Some water again, sorry, Dave. I just want to tell you this. I probably haven't ever shared this in the public forum. So I want you to, um, yeah, I mean, something of my life, and it's not to dishonor my family or my dad at all, but I want you to understand how the love of Christ, the message of the gospel, and this conviction of God has impacted my life. So I grew up in a home with six kids, uh, seven actually. I had a sister that died at birth. I was the second eldest. And um, my dad grew up in a very, very, uh, he, he was born in 1930 in the middle of the Depression, the Great Depression, grew up in abject poverty. His dad died of um, alcohol poisoning in an institution. Um, and lived with many disappointments in his life. And we got the brunt of that many times in our, in our home. Uh, but I don't have the license to feel offended. I was hurt. I have scars, I do. I don't have the right not to forgive. The law that I've got that God's given me is love one another, forgive one another. And then I come into church life and I hear what's happening and I'm saying someone gets offended because someone didn't greet them or offended because of that and offended because of that and offended because I, that's not the gospel. That's not living a life worthy of the gospel. Because Jesus humbled himself, gave himself, gave up everything. He took up, he was, he was so offended to his father. He was offensive to his father. Totally, his father rejected him. Totally. He understands your rejection. He understands your offense. He understands your pain. He understands the things that, are, the history that have been hard and difficult, whether it's in your family or someone that's hurt you. Or in church, someone that's spoken words, the words that are spoken against you. The words that Jesus spoken against him was lies. It was betrayal. These, he understands. And what he did was he took every single offense, all anger, all those things, and he took them out to the cross. And he buried them there. And when he came, was a new man. Not him, but he understands. The, the, the principle is he took upon... The, the offense that he received because of our offense, because of our anger, because of our fear, because of... I don't know if there's in this congregation, but I want to urge you that anything that you have in your heart against a brother or sister, sort it out. Humble yourself. Count others better than yourselves. The other, the other day, um, Harper, Kim, you know, Kim, my wife, she's away with the ladies this weekend. 
Kim was uh, sitting, she was a little bit down, a little bit, we went to the, the spur, a little bit down, and I was playing with Harper and Matty in the play area, I think it was a spur. Kim was just having, I don't know if she was just way down, maybe there's something that happened with her mom or whatever. And Harper was five years old at the time, and she snuggles up to Kim. See, seeing her demeanor, she says, make sun, not shade, Nana. Make sun, not shade, Nana. Some of us in our relationship make more shade than sun. When the sun should be shining through us into those situations. How are we doing in our relationships? Holding short record of wrongs. I can't afford to get offended. I can't afford to get angry with people. I've got to take my anger, my offense to God, to the cross. And you sort it out this way. I, I get on very well with my dad. Still has some things in his mind. He's 93 years old. 92, 93. Nothing in my heart against him. I say that not to dishonor him. To say that actually we all are broken. And we all need mercy. We all need to extend mercy. Amen. This is quite weighty, but I feel like you need to understand the kind of Christianity that we're called to live. On a very positive, uh, positive note, just the other night we get back from our trip to Pretoria. Matty, three years old, the younger grandchild. You see, I've got lots of stories of my grandkids. Woo. Love him. Okay. And we, we've been away for a long time. They've been looking after a house while we're away. And we get on quite well with our grandkids, as you probably picked up pretty well. And in the middle of the night, uh, Jess was sleeping with her. Jess is the mom. In the middle of the night... Matty, three years old, wakes up in the middle of the night. She, she wakes up to her mom. She says, Mommy, I've got lots of hugs in me. Nan and Papa are back. How many hugs have you got in you? Not shrugs. Not indifference. Man, God wants us to have lots of hugs for people. Make sun, not, sh- not shade. He wants us to think the better of others, think the best of others, encourage one another. That is a true follower of Jesus that's been changed by the gospel. Now we do mess up, and we do get these things, and you take them to the cross. That's what the gospel is all about. Positioned in Christ to love. Do you see what this means? Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, I'm reading it. You don't need to get it up then. All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that'll shoot adrenaline into your souls. Number three, chapter three. I just remember we're doing on time. 
Oh, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to land very quickly. I'll land quickly. Number three, passion to know Him. Passion to know Him. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing knowledge worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. But whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm not going to read the rest to save time. Paul was saying in response, he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had the, all, the, all the academic knowledge, all the passion for the Bible. I had a passion for ministry. I had a passion to take my teachings around. But I'd lost my love for Jesus. I'd, lo I'd lost it. It's about, and now that I know, I want to get to know Jesus better and better. There's this deep desire in me, passion. I want to get to know Jesus better and better and better. So every morning, I wake up and I make myself and Kim a cup of coffee. A lot of, lot of days I'll, I'll clean the kitchen, I'll wash the kitchen. Let me tell you something, I don't like washing dishes. Some people do. But I clean the dishes and I take him a cup of coffee, not because, I, because I'm committed to the institution of marriage. I do those things because I love Kim. We, we need to be doing this about because we love Jesus, not because it's the right thing to do. Passion to get him known. Him. What stirs your affection for Jesus? Do that. Can't just live a good life. You've got to have affection for Jesus. What robs you of your affection for Jesus? Ministry, gifts, leadership, what is it? What robs you of your affection for Jesus? One day we won't stand before God with our ministry, but what is filled in our heart. And I'm trusting that when we stand before Jesus one day, he'll say, Ah, I know you. I know you. See, one day our ministries, the gifts, and all these things will disappear. Our apostolic calling. Uh, our vision to reach nations is going to fall away because one day we're going to be with him with all nations. What stirs your affection for Jesus? Devoted followers of Jesus, a life worthy of the gospel is a perpetual pursuit of perfection in Jesus. That is chapter 3. I'm going through it quite quickly. I love this fact and then I'm going to land with the last one in we're going to land with worship, I think. Revelation chapter 1. Jesus appears to John in all his glory. John had never seen him like that before. Never seen him like that before. He saw him ministering. He saw him healing. He saw him in homes. He saw him having a meal. He saw him as a man. Then he sees him suffering on the cross take upon the sins of the world, emaciated, wounded, bleeding out. And then he sees Jesus in his resurrected body, feels the nails in his hands. But that day, it was the Jesus who was sitting on the throne that appeared to him. He'd never seen Jesus. And he falls flat on his face. 
flat on his face. He's, this is his first encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And, there's, and I saw this the other day, and it says this. And the Lord laid his right hand on John. The resurrected Lord Jesus lays his right hand on you and me. Man, he's him. Know him, to get to know him. What a motivation in life. And finally, the fourth thing is a pursuing the joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here it is again. Why can we rejoice in all circumstances? Why is it no matter what we're going through, we can rejoice? The Lord is at hand. No matter what we're going through, He's near. He's with you. He's close. And that's what He wants us to know. Joy, man. Find joy in your walk with Jesus. No matter what, we, what we're going through. No matter what we're going through. The Lord is at hand in all circumstances. Don't be led by your emotions or by your thoughts. But be led in your life as a believer of the Lord, that the Lord is near. I said this to the guys the other day. When you're dating your girlfriend, it was a, in a situation where we knew there were a couple of couples getting together and whatever. I said, remember, rejoice in the Lord uh, always because the Lord is at hand. But remember that when you're going on a drive together, just the two of you in the car, the Lord is at hand. You want, to re- you want to have this, the Lord is upon me. You don't want to get the Lord with. <laughs> have you ever come on anything quite like this? Extravagant generosity of God. This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him su- such a huge favor that God has to ask for his advice. Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory. Always praise. Yes. Yes. Yes.